it just looks better. It's not game changer at all. Right. You will not write better code with it. Dang it. <laughs> Looking for wins. I'm not advocating that is must have, but it's just nice to have. I don't know why. Why would you want to look at simpler, not beautiful, broken glyphs right not aligned properly when you can be looking at the same thing but rendered much nicer bandwidth for changelog is provided by fastly learn more at fastly.com we move fast and fix things here at changelog because of rollbar check them out at rollbar.com and we're hosted on linode cloud servers head to linode.com slash changelog Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. On this episode, Adam and I welcome Nikita Prokopov into our Maintainer Spotlight. Maintainer Spotlight is co-produced by Changelog and Tidelift. Tidelift is the first managed open source subscription, helping you develop apps with components that just work, including comprehensive security updates, active maintenance, and accurate licensing. And the best part of all, with a Tidelift subscription, you help open source maintainers get paid for their work. Learn more at Tidelift.com. So we're here with Nikita, who is the author of Fira Code, a free monospace font with programming ligatures. This is Maintainer Spotlight. We would like to thank Ollie for pointing us to Nikita and Fira Code. And Ollie said, as a Fira Code user and repo lurker, aren't we all a repo lurker of somebody's repo? Uh, he said, I've been impressed by Nikita's flexibility and consistently patient conduct on a pretty busy repo. I'd love to hear more about his broader thoughts and perspectives on what seems to be a very popular project. Programming fonts are an interesting collision of niches I have not heard discussed on a podcast, so I agreed with that. I don't think we've ever talked specifically about fonts, maybe font awesome, something like that. But it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And uh, for Maintainer Spotlight, first of all, Nahida, thanks for coming on the change log with us. Sure, happy to be here. So you live at the intersection of fonts and code, and I'm just curious how you got here and why this was something you wanted to work on. This is an interesting question. So somehow I'm not only like I'm professionally, I am software engineer, but I've been always interested in design as well. And I've been reading about design, doing some logos and stuff like that. And as part of design, I was also naturally interested in fonts. And then, yeah, there was this idea. There was already a font with programming ligatures, but they are, it was called Haskell, but it was aiming at Haskell only. So I figured why not create my own with the font that I like and ligatures that I can use in the language I was working in. It turned out not to be too hard. And after the initial version, yeah, there was many other versions and I got... Uh, more and more sucked into the world of fonts, how they're built and what details are there. So, yeah, I just started and then I get into fonts, I guess. That's how it was. Sounds like a rabbit hole you can go a ways down. I've always been on the fringe of fonts, reading people's blogs who are interested in topography. I've never quite known what makes a good font or why I like a certain one. Adam, you're keen on topography. You're always... Talking about specific fonts you like and ones that you don't like. What's your angle at this, Adam? I think I'm not keen. Oh, you're not? You have some taste about it, though. Like, you you care. 
Sure, I have some tastes. I'm not in the on the fringe or in the know of what's current. Yeah, less so now. But I think with monospace in particular, they're unique because they have to serve a certain purpose. Right. You know, readable, certain size, similar size. They got to fit into terminal windows, and there's unique properties for monospace fonts in particular. And you know, you want to put some style in there, but yet it's a limited. It's a very constrained design pattern to design towards. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they're so creative and so diverse given those constraints. Yeah, things that I've always looked for in a monospace, in a programming font specifically, of course, monospace is a necessity because you need to line your code up, right? Indentation and code alignment, these things are... It matters, yeah. They matter for readability, and so you have to have monospace. So they all do have that, but what I've always looked for in a font for programming is disambiguity. I want something where I know, is it a zero or a O? Is it a L or a one? Not really a big problem if you're reading prose because you, your mind just kind of can read it whether it's a zero or an O. And contextually, it makes sense. This is, there's no zero in the middle of a word. Yeah. It's pretty clear, too, when you're reading text. But in programming, there are zeros in the middle of words, right? Like a variable name can have a zero in it or a one. And if you think if that's an L or a one, that's a huge difference, right? Your code may not compile. Or in you know specific language, maybe it just works just fine, but your your variable ends up empty or nil or something. So those are always things that I've looked for. Nikita, you surely have a lot of thoughts having built your own font. We'll talk about ligatures here soon because I think that's worth focusing on. But what do you think makes a good programming font, or what do you like in fonts in general? Certainly, all the things that you mentioned are important. Like uh, yeah, mostly it's uh, zero o. Uh, and one L, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, L, and one, yeah. Yep. Uh, these are things that must look different in the fonts, but other from that, it's just, I think it's a matter of taste. And at some point, I was looking for perfect font, but then like I found Firamono and built Firacoda out of it, and I liked the aesthetics of it, like how the letters look and letter shapes themselves. Mm-hmm. But also later I discovered, so maybe there is not a perfect font and like a desktop wallpaper, you just have to change it once in a while because it gets boring a little bit. Right. There's certainly like high quality fonts, low quality fonts, like that, that look decent, that look terrible. But from high quality fonts, yeah, sometimes I just switch things just to, to keep it fresh. stay fresh. Yeah. 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 I mean, it definitely is at a certain point an aspect of taste and our taste changes over time and we get bored of what we're looking at for sure. There's a, a somewhat new trend in programming fonts, especially amongst people who share their screenshots of some code on social networks, which I'm curious what you guys think of this. I'm still not sure where I land, but it's where the comments are like serifed or curly or even in some case, the comment is like a completely separate font and it's like, scripty i guess is i don't know what the term is i'm not a font person really yeah and so you have like the monospace and maybe it's still monospace but it's just completely different style the comments and then the code have you seen that nikita what do you think about that yeah yeah, yeah. it's implemented as italics but yeah there's like very curly italics right i think it's uh victor mono and hoffler something uh, yeah there are two fonts like that i am not using those i don't even use italics in my coding at yeah. all and don't use bold fonts so 
I also have not only taste for fonts, but or opinion, not only for font, but also for color scheme. Yeah. And I prefer all the text be the same font, the same width, weight. So no bold, no italics. It's just the same letters all over and over with some colors. Right. I think mm. that italics and bold make actually a text harder to read because you have to switch. When everything is in the same font and same weight, it's just easier to read for me. So yeah, I'm not using those. I'm not using them either. I tend to fall yeah. in with you. I can see though for the social network aspect of sharing code There's like that. There's a flair to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see why separating and having a distinct style and potentially even getting, and maybe that's just a thing for being unique to make the comments be more stylish. Right. But definitely stand out. It kind of reminds me of the way that TV sets are configured inside department stores versus inside your house. You know, like you go to a store and you have all these TVs, these large screen, you know, flat screen TVs, and the brightness and the saturation are all cranked to the max because they're trying to st- catch your eye. They're trying to stand out. It's actually mm-hmm. not the best picture that that TV is capable of that you would actually want to watch. You know, like if you're watching a movie, you would not want those settings. So you take it home and you have to actually, you know, configure it for that environment. And maybe this kind of flary, fantastic, curly comments with bright colors is kind of like just catching attention on social media. I'm wondering if people that do that use that day to day, like in their regular coding, if it gets to become too much, because I sure think it would bother me over time. Well, yeah, it'd be distracting. Mm -hmm. Your eyes would be attracted to the comments more than the code. Or you have to squint a little bit sometimes to read the comments because they're curly or they're italicized. I keep calling yeah. them curly, showing how lame I am. Those <laughs> kids and their curly comments. <laughs> I think Intelli- IntelliJ right now also experimenting in the latest versions of rendering uh, comments uh, in proportional fonts, not monospaced, but proportional. Okay. Because like, yeah, it's easier to read and comments usually read and not the code that you change. I'm not sure how useful that is, but yeah. there's like a lot of design space for like experimentation. You can do crazy things with like yeah, absolutely. what you want in which font. Yeah. And you mentioned the word high quality before. And I think the word high quality kind of comes to play when you say how much time and effort did someone put into the font itself to to be represented in all these different scenarios. So you can just go and design a font or put together a font and not put a lot of time into it. And it's not so much that it's not high quality, but if you took all the effort to provide the ligatures or the unique scenarios where there's contextual opportunities and stuff like that, like putting that time into a font or a typeface, and that's even a debate there. It's like, is it a font? Is it a typeface? But, you know, putting the high quality into it is really a craft, a lot of effort and a lot of painstaking time in most cases by one or many people to really make sure that this this typeface performs well in its design different environments. Arena. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam, you mentioned ligatures and we haven't talked about that. Yeah, that's a huge part of Fira code is the ligatures. And I didn't even know what these were a few months ago. I've seen them a few times now. Here we are again. Now I get it. I'm not sure yeah. if I would want it myself. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, I've just installed this this morning and you know checking it out. I haven't lived with ligatures, but explain what those are to people who aren't familiar with ligatures in your code. Sure. So uh, the idea was that in traditional fonts, there were so certain letter combinations that was uh, not rendered nicely together. Like if you have F 
followed by I, uh, the dot of the I and the edge of the F would uh, like overlap and mm-hmm. it doesn't look nice. So they figure out that they will draw this pair separately and replace the combination with a specifically drawn pair that like um, smooths a little bit this this uh, overlap. And this was in fonts like forever. I think in metallic fonts this this was used as well. It, it comes from like metallic fonts in like real typography. Mm-hmm. And this was in computers as well, but it only was used for really rare combinations like FI, FL, FFI, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I'm, I don't remember the name, but uh, somebody figured out, the guy who built Hasclick font, I guess, figured out that you can use the same technique, but for programming uh, stuff. And if you think about uh, like programming, let, not not letter combinations, but symbol combinations, like if, for example, in C or C++, you have dash followed by greater sign, which kind of looks like an arrow, mm-hmm. but is not an arrow not an actual error. And so in some phones, normally these characters are not even supposed to stay next to each other. So they're not even aligned. So dash is like minus between numbers and greater is also supposed to be between numbers. They're not supposed to stay next to each other. Yeah, so sometimes they look uh, not well together. So the idea was to find this combination, most popular ones, and replace them with the same mechanism, but like uh, with, for example, in case of uh, C or C++ arrows, we actually draw an arrow. It's single glyph that looks like a decent, beautiful arrow. So that's the idea that in the places where you're doing ice key art in your code, mm-hmm. like with arrows or plus plus, or I don't know, for example, in Go, you have colon followed by equals, which is assignment operator, right. stuff like that. We just make them look slightly better together. So it's basically optimizing these combinations for programming. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, and as I browse Fira code in my editor here, it turns out you have to also turn on the ligatures explicitly. So I, I thought I was looking at them and I wasn't, and then I turned them on inside. This is VS Code specific but there's an actual font ligatures uh, Boolean config. In addition to setting Fira code as the font, you then can toggle whether or not you want the ligatures. And with ligatures on, especially in Elixir, you know one of the combinations that's popular in Elixir code is the pipeline operator, which is the pipe character followed by a greater than character. And it looks, it's kind of like an arrow in that sense. Uh, I'm sure you're well aware because it looks like you designed this ligature yeah. for that. It looks like triangle, actually. It does. It looks like a sideways triangle. And so when I turned yeah. on font ligatures, all of my pipe greater than combinations all just switched to a to an actual triangle, a right pointing triangle. Hard to describe in uh, voice, but but there you have it. So how many of these are there? Are there like dozens? Are there hundreds of these combinations? Yeah, is there, I think there's hundreds. I think... Fira code has um, around 100 or 150, something like that. I have a script that generates them, and I'm trying to remember the numbers there. Sure. I think it was something like that. Mm, quite a bit. Yeah, but mm. there is a lot. There is a lot. Yeah. And regarding here mentioning that you have to turn them on, this is actually another story here. Was when we uh, started to building fonts like that, it turned out that 
not every editor was ready for that. So there was like a story that almost nobody supported it except for web-based editors. So in web, typography was uh, designed properly for web pages and those, every editor built on top of Electron was also supporting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, the, the idea became popular and everybody started doing them. But so right now it's like, at a different level of support and different editors, sometimes you have to turn them on, sometimes they enabled by default. Yeah. But but yeah, that's the thing. And worth noting, if this is something that's new to you as a listener, and this was new to me, and I was immediately turned off because I thought, why are you replacing are you like using special Unicode character? Are you replacing my ask my text with like a Unicode character that represents it? Because that I do not want. Like I don't want to have maybe non-standard, I guess if it's Unicode, it is a standard. But I want to have the actual thing as written. And so it's worth noting that the way that you accomplish this is basically like a presentation layer thing. Like you're not replacing the underlying bytes, the characters. You're actually just presenting them, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. That's the idea of it. So this is why it all works so beautifully because you can see beautiful like Unicode-like, or it's not Unicode-like, but beautiful specifically drawn shapes in your editor and your compiler still understands this is a plain ASCII character. So yeah, there's no conflict there. You just see it uh, slightly better than it is in in underlying um, Unicode inside. You're going to have a divide there too, right? You're going to have somebody who prefers to literally see equals equals two equal signs next to each other versus an elongated equal sign or whatever that might look like in its ligature representation. Mm-hmm. So you might even have somebody who's like a purist who's like, no, I, I want to see the individual characters and the visual representation doesn't matter to me. Then you're going to have some who are like Jared that was immediately turned off because he thought you were replacing, but you're not. And then it really is just a visual. So Jared on the on the elixir yeah. side, is that sideways triangle of you know the visual representation to you is it, will it take some time, but do you think over time you'd get you'd appreciate it? I'm not sure yet. Versus, you know, like I said, it might take some time. Uh, I literally just toggled it on, and I am kind of a curmudgeon, and like I'm very happy. I'm not unhappy with my my fonts, my text scenario, like my colors, and I'm also not of much. I don't get bored very easily in this way that maybe others do. Nikita, you mentioned that like there's like a boredom or a, something fresh. I've been using Ubuntu Mono at the same size with the same color scheme for probably, well, maybe I've changed colors, but definitely Ubuntu Mono for like a deck. Whenever they announced it, I just used that. I liked it. I just used that. And so actually switching away from that to a anything decade. makes me a little bit like, oh, this is weird. But... I think, you know, looking at these sideways triangles, it's kind of cool. I understand how aesthetically it's it's kind of more interesting. I know in, in your readme, Nikita, you talk about how there's like some sort of minor brain wins in terms of like cognitive overload with this. Uh, maybe you can explain that uh, from your perspective of why ligatures are actually like just because they're slightly more representative of, of the glyph or what? Yeah, so idea is that if you type two characters to build a single operator, your brain has to like think of it as, uh, okay, I see two characters, but it's actually part of the single thing, yeah. the single operator. And then if you just see a triangle, actual triangle without any gaps or it's, it's just a single thing. So it's easier for you to like, aha, this is a single thing. Yeah. I like to think of it as... 
it makes it closer to mathematical notation. If you would write uh, some, I don't know, uh, equations on a paper on or in a well, when typographically well set uh, paper, right? Uh, you would use beautiful characters that are, look the way they're supposed to look. And if you're just typing code in ISCII, you're just trying to imitate that, but you have like less with very poor tools. Yeah. You cannot build like an error. It just looks better. It's not game changer at all. Right. I mean, you will not write better code with it, or I'm not advocating that it's must have, it. but it's just nice to <laughs> have. For I, wins. I, I don't know why. Why would you want to look at like simpler, uh, not beautiful, broken glyphs, right. not aligned properly, in, when you can be looking at the same thing, but rendered much nicer, yeah. I get it. There's a, there's maybe a nice comparison with emoji and emoticons. So, in, you know, in the battle days, when we wanted to emote something, we would put a, a when we wanted to wink at somebody, we'd put a semicolon and then a right brace, bracket, uh, paren, a right paren. Parenthesis. Yeah. yeah. And that would be a winky Parent. face. Then emoji came around, and now we have these very nice, very expressive e yellow or whatever, your, your color of choice, winky face. The big win in that case is you don't have to turn your head sideways to actually see what you're trying to emote, as the, the semicolon is necessarily you know at a 45-degree turn. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a win. And I think it's a similar argument here where it's like, and there might be similar pushback. Like I've used the semicolon paren for years, even once emoji were out there. And over time, you just get used to the emoji and you're like, yeah, this is just better. Why am I not just switching to that? And eventually those pretty much have gone by the wayside. There's still people that put them in certain contexts, especially when emoji is not supported. But it's better pretty much objectively to have a more expressive glyph that represents that thing versus cobbling together a representation. I can actually put it another way. In a perfect world, if you, if your language of choice uh, would support Unicode arrows and you would have an, a decent way to type them in, also Unicode arrows, right. you would probably use those. Nobody would like build an arrow from dash. That's right. And sign. Yeah, uh, it's just an uh, approximation, unfortunate one, but it works. It works easily, effortlessly. So yeah, why not? Yeah, we're using kind yeah. of a lowest common denominator solution based on the availability of ASCII in different languages or different areas. And then also the fact that you just can't fit all of those glyphs onto a keyboard um, unless you have specialized keyboards that we know around the world. There are keyboards that are wildly different than the standard QWERTY keyboard, especially for yeah. character-based languages and stuff. You said the word if, and there's quite a big if here on the language-specific glyphs. So JavaScript's got some HTML, Markdown, Java, C-sharp, Ruby, Go, Swift. We mentioned Elixir, Kotlin, R. So you've took some time pretty much down the swath of languages being used today to give them special representation for certain things they're doing inside their syntax. And that's, that's really interesting. And you even go beyond that to do things like in console UI. And so when you were just mentioning where would you use this, I was thinking like it'd be super cool to have these kinds of things whenever you're writing like a CLI and something's happening or you're doing some console stuff and you have an opportunity like a, let's say like a module installation with NPM or something like that. Like when something's happening, you can do some really cool like yeah. power lines, squares, partial boxes, some really cool stuff, really cool art with 
this type of uh, font typeface over, say, Ubuntu Mono, where there's just not that opportunity. Yeah, similar to like Curl has that new spaceship. Yeah. Progress indicator, you know, where it's an equals 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 with a right arrow with a right greater than sign, and that's like the ASCII version of like a a rocket ship, you know. But if you actually had a font like this that had accounted for a rocket ship as like a thing, then that could just be translated on the fly into something that looks much cooler, much more like actual spaceship or rocket ship. I'm curious. It could be animated yeah. even. I mean, you can be swapping out characters behind the scenes and it becomes very animation-like. Maybe. I was asking Nikita about that because I'm not sure how these things are built. Like, how do you go about achieving this in a font? Actually, uh, the one that you mentioned with progress bar is a really new feature. It was released last month. Oh, cool. Pure code version 4. Yeah, and this is actually was a tricky one. So the way Fira code works or any other font works so inside the font, there is a small programming language that can you that let you program like replacement. And ligatures works through that. It's basically pattern matching like. So for ligatures, you just say if you see like for example dash and their greater sign, replace it with this glyph uh, with this name. This is simple stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But you actually can do like more complex stuff and you can do like kind of loops or stuff like that. So uh, the way it works for long arrows is that you start, if you see a dash that is followed by a dash, followed by a dash, you start converting the first dashes into into a line and then this uh, process goes on and on and it converts them as it goes. And in the end, it just puts some ending like arrow or something like that. So, yeah, it's actually a little program inside the font that can do, well, different things. Maybe some crazy things. For The craziest one for now for, for Fira code is long arrows. You can have arrows of any length and you have any endings. You have can have like in the middle also have greater sign or like pipe or stuff like mm-hmm. that, vertical line. Yeah. I think there was also an article a few months back when a guy built, uh, using the same open type features, he built um, number separators inside the font. So for example, if you type a long number, like six or nine digits, it will automatically put commas or spaces in between uh, groups of three digits, uh, but it will do it on the font level. Not like it, it will be purely presentational, just like ligatures are. Hmm. You can do stuff like that inside the font as well. When you sat down and said, I want to design this font from scratch, how did you begin? What was the first step? What was your blank canvas? What was, say, the constraints you put on yourselves? What were some of the key things you were really shooting for? Ligatures, obviously, we've been talking about that, but what were the other aspects that really brought you into play to do this? Yeah, so. As I said, when I started, it was just an experiment. And there was Hasclick font, which was uh, based on, I think, on source code pro and had ligatures for Haskell. So I wanted the same, but for the font that I liked at the moment, which was Fira Mono. And for ligatures, uh, I guess for closure, because I was programming closure and still programming closure. Maybe. Uh, yeah, so I, I just took Fira Mono, which has all had or and still has all the letters, right? So I didn't draw any of the letters and just added ligatures on top of that. So it's 
in a sense, it's uh, just an extension of Fira Mono. Yeah, that's what I, I work with. How do you accomplish that then? Are you, you know, sort of iterating based on Firamano and you've got sort of the, like how a language might have a superset or a subset or is it like that where you're sort of building on and you're sort of in tandem with their development of that font? You know, are you drawing the vector versions of all these characters yourself by hand or do you use some sort of base layer of work and add it on to? Mm-hmm. And is your work tied back to theirs and has to sort of wait till they iterate so you can iterate and add on? Are you still connected to the original Firamano to some, somehow? Yeah, sure. For the ligatures, yes, I have to draw all the vector forms myself. It helped a little bit that, for example, it, they already had arrows, like Unicode arrows, and I just like extended them a little bit. So it's simple operation. But uh, yeah, some of them I had to draw from scratch. So basically, yeah, it's uh, you just open a file, which is a set of uh, vector shapes. You add new glyphs and you have to draw vector shape for, for those glyphs. For example, if I want an arrow, I draw, I draw an arrow. It usually comes in two weights. Like, so you have to draw it for normal and for bold. And then the soft, uh, software interpolates for all the other weights. And I left the letters from Firamono as they are. We fixed a little uh, few bugs that they had in Kyrillic, I think, or some rare languages, let's say that. And yeah, so basically right now Firacode has letters from Firamono a while back. Uh, luckily for me, I guess they're not iterating, they're not changing Firamona anymore, so I don't have to keep up. It would be probably mm. a pretty hard endeavor because <laughs> if they say change metrics or something like that, I will have to adjust all my ligatures and I have just so so many of them, so it would be tricky. But yeah, it's it just... Let's say it has a snapshot of Firamono from, I don't know, five or four years back. And I am just building on top of that. Every new version of Firacode is just more and more ligatures with some sometimes bugs fixed, sometimes you Unicode characters, sometimes something gets removed. But yeah, it's basically just adding slightly on top. The Tidelift subscription is a managed open source subscription backed by project maintainers. If you're building applications with open source, Tidelift helps you ensure you have components that just work. That includes comprehensive security updates, active maintenance, and accurate licensing. Tidelift helps you speed up your development, save money, and reduce risk when building apps with open source. And the best part of all, with the Tidelift subscription, you help open source maintainers like Nikita get paid for their work. Learn more and get a demo today at Tidelift.com. Well, thankfully the source is out there for this stuff because, I mean, without it, you know, you'd be starting from scratch. So there's a repo out there for Fear of Sands that's got Fear of Code, Fear of Mono, and Fear of Sands in there. Some of them kind of dated in terms of their last commits to them. So Fear of Code and Fear of Mono 
being four years ago, Fear of Sands being two years ago. I mean, thankfully, this is open source that you can improve upon this work. Yeah, so the, the biggest luck for me was that it was open source. It was an open type font, uh, open font license. So anybody can build modifications and like distribute them freely. The work, original work on Sense was done, I think, by Rudolf Karois or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name and Eric Speakerman. They built it for Firefox mobile operating system. Mm. I think it was called Firefox OS or something like that. So it was supposed to be the default font for on Firefox OS. But then Firefox OS didn't happen. Uh, but the font already was built and it was openly distributed and it had monospace and I was lucky just to have it. After that, they tried to update it, I think twice. They they built like, I think the, the FiraSense that you mentioned from two years ago, it's the first attempt. Then they like formed different company and rebranded it as Fira, Fira Go. And it's basically FiraSense, but like updated again. So the FiraSense or Fira Go is a recently uh, newly updated. Fira Mono wasn't really updated since, I don't know, four or five years back. It doesn't get new versions anymore. They did, though, at some point, they, they released a version called Fira Code, which is just Fira Mono with different line height. Mm. No ligatures, nothing at all. They just chose this name for some reason. I don't know. I don't think anybody uses that. And I think Fira Code was already very popular by then. I asked them to change it. They don't seem to respond. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it matters much. I'm not sure how popular Wikipedia is for people looking for the history on this, but I assume it might be to some degree his, uh, popular because we use Wikipedia for history in some cases. And so I would say that's where I was confused because I saw a Fira code mentioned in the Fira Sands Wikipedia page. It didn't seem like it was referencing anything in particular because it didn't link to the proper place because where I went didn't have anything representing Fira code. However, we're obviously talking about Fira code here today. So maybe do an edit on the Wikipedia page and point to yours so we can have some clarity out there for anybody looking. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah. yeah. That, that sounds a good idea. But I think uh, uh, in terms of Google search, I think Fira code is fine. I think it all leads to GitHub page, the proper GitHub page, my GitHub page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also on Google Fonts. Uh, there is Fira Code and Fira Mono, and Fira Code is my Fira Code, not not that version. Oh, nice. So it's it's all fine. Yeah. Is that something that you submit to, or did they come to you and say, "Can we put this on Google Fonts? How that work out?" I think I submitted, or somebody from Fira Code community submitted it, and there is actually a little story there. So when I started Fira Code, they had like in. Fira Sans and Fira Mono license, they have like a phrase that we license the name Fira Sans and Fira Mono. I'm okay, I will just my name my Fira code. Uh, and it was fine for a while. Then they changed it like via license Fira prefix mm. and all fonts with Fira are ours. And like, uh, what the fuck, what do I do? And because of that, it was like a few years they don't, didn't want to take Fira codes to Google Fonts because this question was like questionable and it was really hard to contact anybody from Firefox or from the B-Box type 
even just to look at that. They, they didn't mind. They just don't have time to look right. at it. Right. Uh, after a while, that gets everything gets cleared up. They change the license again. So uh, after that, the Google Fonts was like happy to take my font. They actually do also clean do some job on it. It's not like I submit my font to them. They actually came to my repository, like wrote a bunch of scripts that like build font properly and huh. stuff like that. And only after that, they host some version. It's I think it's also not the version that I distribute. It's the version they built from my source. Something. Interesting. That's an interesting question, though, Jerry, because I was thinking earlier, like if the barrier to entry to, you know, like he'd mentioned, he's a programmer primarily, but curious about design and in particular fonts and typography. And the next question is adoption. So if you put something out there, you've got to define all these installation instructions and, you know, this and that. But if you're using, say, Google Fonts, and that's pretty common, you can use that for desktop and the web. So it can be, in many ways, access to a large population of people who font curious, you know, and they want to try things out. So the way you get adoption is by having distribution. I'm thinking, like, how do you get distributed? Well, it sounds kind of backwards, though, because it seems like they should be working more closely with you to ensure that your desires for it are fulfilled through Google Fonts and it seems like they're not exactly collaborating with you. They're just sort of using your source and doing their own thing with your stuff, which is totally fine, licensed and legally and, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. Maybe I, I put it wrong. They do came and they did a bunch of fixes and cleanups and okay. as pull request and it, I merged everything in Fira code source. Mm-hmm. So it's all in there. But they also contributed build scripts and, and yeah, I don't know. I just didn't have them. I went into the Glyphs app and clicked like export and get a file from yeah, it. They, they changed it, it to command line. It's it, it's all fine. No, we, we talked and we closed a couple of issues. It's gotcha. it okay. communication. Yeah, yeah, I misheard then. So when you say they, do you mean somebody that represents Google Fonts, like people that part you know manage their library and etc. Yes, I think there was a a person, a, a guy who was communicating with me. And gotcha. I feel like, yeah, I, I work for some I'm just trying to remember. I think that he was called Stephen Nixon or something like that. And if it's wrong, I'm sorry, but yeah. It was a collaboration. No, it's totally. Well, just trying to figure out how, how it happened because it's like, if somebody else out there is like you, you know, what can they expect? How does it work? Yeah. I think if you want to initiate that, you can leave a request or issue in Google Fonts repo. And then from that, you will know what to do, I think. They will tell you what to do. You also mentioned about distribution. And I am not sure that Google Fonts is like that perfect for distribution because uh, there are lots of fonts and it's I doubt you will just by putting your font on Google Fonts, which is useful, but it's not will change everything like... It's not yeah. like getting on the front page of Hacker News or something like that. No, not well, maybe at all. not. The install process is pretty straightforward, though. So once you yes. get the critical mass and you get the awareness, yeah. the next step, which is usage, they've lowered the barrier to that at least. So I don't have to, I don't have to think too hard if I'm using Google Fonts for desktop or whatever, and it gets a little easier saying just install. Yeah. So yeah, certainly. That's a cool open source success story. You know, you're building on top of some open source. Of course, there's always copyright and legal things that happen here or there and licensing. 
it seems like everything's pretty much shook out and been been good. What about managing an open source community and project around a font? Is it different than managing an open source around a code base? Does it feel, I know you have some open source closure libraries and stuff too. Does it feel like that? Does it feel different? Is it actively developed? Like it sounds like you're working on the next version. So I would tend to think a font like you design it and it's done. But I guess if you're adding ligatures all the time, you could just do it till the end of time. Does it feel like a like a coding project or does it feel like a different thing altogether? Uh, it certainly feels the same. There are a couple of differences. For one is it's really hard to take pull requests on, on the font because the way font is built, at least Fira code, is it's built in a proprietary, proprietary software, uh, Glyphs app, which is, I think, it's kind of standard uh, for font builders. There is FontLab and there is Glyphs apps. I think they're two most popular programs. They both very expensive, so you would not buy them just to like change a letter in a font and submit a pull request. Uh, because of that, I have to like to do most of the changes myself. So it's mostly issues and the people request and I just implement them myself. So that's that's different. I would like to accept pull requests, but I think because you have to buy this program to design a font and also because I'm not sure how well the font file itself will work with changes like patches, you know, as you can mm -hmm. do with uh, source code. I think it's not well optimized for patches. It's a text format, but I think it's it's, it's not uh, good optimized. I wish they used uh, JSON. It might be slightly better. Yeah, there are some questionable things inside. I've looked inside the Glyphs app uh, format, and there are some questionable things. This is a software engineer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, it's also my most popular project, so I get much more requests for that than for anything else. But yeah, that's that's expected, I guess, because of the popularity. And yeah, I just uh, at some point I find found out that the only way to keep up with it is just as you as you get some requests, you have to deal with it immediately. Otherwise, they will pile up and you find yourself under a huge pile of uh, requests that you have never taken time to answer. So now I, every day, I, if I see a new issue, I reply immediately. It might be, uh, this sounds good, or this is, I will not uh, implement that, or just two words, just to get feedback to people immediately. What's your process on issues then? Because you've got 686 closed, 238 open, which seems like a lot. So what makes you open or close an issue? What, how do you handle issues? Uh, yeah, so sometimes it's just you need to explain something to a person. Sometimes you have to just redirect them because many bugs are actually bugs in editor, in editors or terminals or in syntax highlighting. But people come to me with them, and I have to explain how it works and send them. And so for feature requests, they just build up. And at some point, right now, I do it every month. I just pick some that are certainly easy to implement, and I sit down for a day or two implementing them, and then release a new version of your code. Mm -hmm. What makes you leave the issues open? Do you just leave them open because... 
there's more conversation happening. What makes you click the close button when the issue solved or you responded accurately and there's, you don't expect any more communication. What makes you keep this amount of issues open? Why is that number so large? Hmm. Yeah. Obviously it's not your day job, so I'm not grilling you while you're not doing your job. I'm just trying to figure out like, what is it that makes these issues stay open for you? What's your philosophy on keeping them open? Yeah. If the issue is not resolved, like if I am certain I will never implement it, I close it because won't won't implement, right? If I do implement it, I close it because it's done. But if I am uncertain, uh, if there is like pros and cons, I might wait them. I just leave it open. I, I don't see problems. Yeah. Uh, lots of open issues. It's just uh, okay. Maybe some at some point I'll have time. I come back and uh, take another look. Maybe something changes and. I think in the last release, I closed some issues from like four years ago or something like that. It's still possible. I don't mind open issues and I don't see a problem in them. I knew at some repositories, people, especially in big companies, I think, all issues get closed automatically. I I don't do that because I I don't see the point. It doesn't become less relevant because nobody take a look at at it for a year. It's probably still an unsolved problem. Gotcha. Could you estimate the number of hours you put into this project? No. <laughs> no. 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 Thousands? Hundreds? Orders of magnitude. You know, is it 100 hours? Is it 1,000? Is it 10,000 hours? No, 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 no. I, I, I would say 100. Yeah, 100 sounds like something, something realistic. It's very thin layer on top of my day job. So it's like, a day, a month, or something like yeah. that. and But it's been going for a while. It's like, I don't know how old, it's like five years, more, six years. It's, it's pretty long time. Yeah. Do you ever just want to put up the not maintained sign on the readme and just say, I'm done with this? Or are you still enjoying it? Do you get a lot of value out of it personally? Yeah, I, I, still, I still enjoy it. And um, the, the issues just keep coming. So I... Yeah, I, I love it. I don't want. I don't want to close it. It's actually it's unusual for font projects. Usually, fonts uh, get done, not change after. Yeah. So most of the fonts never change after the release. So yeah, I guess it's unusual. But then, as a software project, it's not unusual. It's typical software projects usually are never done. So <laughs> yeah. And is that because you're adding ligatures? Yeah, mostly because I'm adding ligatures. So the requests from people that come, I think this might be a good idea. And some most of the time it is. Or I don't know, half of the time it mm-hmm. is. Half of the time it's not. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they just come with the idea. Uh, like some, there, there are, in some languages, there are certainly sequences of uh, glyphs that are operators, but I just have no idea how to draw them. Especially mm. for Scala or R, there are like percent greater than percent, for example. How do you draw that so it makes sense? I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. There is no ligature for that. Only be- I, w- I would love to put it. I just don't know how to draw it. If we estimate eight hours as a day of work and you put in roughly a day per month and you've been doing it for five years, that's around 500 hours. 500. Yeah. If we base it on those numbers there, if, if that's accurate, then we got about 500 hours into this project. Okay. Interesting. Plus the mind space, you know, 
which is a lot. If you've got a day job and other activities and things that you're interested in, it's a, it's a lot to to handle. And the reason why we do this show is not so much to say, oh, let's quantify your effort, but more like, you know, there's a lot that goes into producing open source that goes into maintaining open source to lead a community to to do something like this with a labor of love. And it's, it's less about quantifying that, more about just, you know, being clear with how much effort it takes to be committed as you are and others are to open source. Have you had a lot of support? I noticed you have a Patreon. Looks like you have some supporters. You're trying to get to a certain amount of money to help you work on these things. And I would say you've had some modest success there, but I'm curious how you would view that. Yeah, I think it's pretty successful. Patreon certainly helps a lot, especially the, the money for the license for Glyphs app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Is that an annual license or a one-time well. purchase? I think it is one time. I'm not sure. I just bought it actually because the first year when I started FiraCode, I asked the author of the Glyphs app if he can provide me with a license, and he did. Mm. Yeah, and I used for a couple of years, I used free license. That, that certainly had to be renewed each year. But then I set up a Patreon and it didn't seem fair, so I just paid for the license from the Patreon money. So I forgot the, the rest of the question. I was asking about how you feel like the Patreon support is going and if you're well supported. I think for the amount of work that I am doing, it's pretty generous. Nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I also have like other open source, which I would love to do more, like uh, closure stuff. I, I It's currently under the same Patreon. Uh, maybe I should split it up at some point. Sometimes it annoys people that donate for fear code and get closure instead. Mm. They donate for closure, get fear code instead. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's not uh, entirely fair. But yeah, I, I would certainly would love to do more like to the point, like the, the full time working on open source. It's like the, the dream that I have, but it's not possible with the current amount of support. But it's certainly helping, yeah. And I think the fear code is probably most popular font with ligatures for programming. Mm-hmm. It also like warms my heart every time I see Fira code in the wild. Um, for example, I'm at a conference and somebody puts up slides and they use Fira code. And, <laughs> uh, somebody knows about it. It still feels like uh, strange, but yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. Uh, what's the skew when it comes to your support? I know you got GitHub sponsors going on, which is really on the Tonski, not so much your repositories, which that's how it's designed, or it could be organizational based. You've got Patreon, you've got PayPal. Of the three that are available, at least when you go to GitHub and you're on Fear of Code, which one is sort of most popular? Which one do you prefer? What's the uh, percentages across the three? Patreon is certainly the biggest one. Maybe because it was set up as the first, and when I announced it, most of the yeah. people went there. Uh, the GitHub is probably 10 times smaller. And PayPal is, I don't know, yeah, smaller, two, three times smaller than GitHub. And also PayPal is one time seeing GitHub and Patreon is every month. Right. So, yeah. When it comes to this opportunity to sponsor you as an individual, what is it that makes you like or dislike certain feature sets from them? Let's say, what do you, what do you care? What do you like most about GitHub sponsors? Obviously, PayPal's not being used very much. What's the, what's the skew between the two in terms of your, your preference, in terms of how they do things and 
hmm. represent you as an individual creator, etc. I would say that the idea of Patreon is the best because you can have posts, you have like uh, extra material and stuff like that. Uh, like you can hide something for patrons only, stuff like that. All the features. On GitHub sponsors, I don't think you can do that. You just like just you just give money and forget about it. <laughs> you don't get anything in return. So in terms of Patreon, it's probably the the best. I don't like the UI of Patreon. It's I think it's terrible. It's like everything is of the wrong size. You can never find anything, stuff like that. It's hard to write a post and stuff like that. But but the conceptually the idea is 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 better certainly. Yeah, I'm not sure how well it works though for software projects because maybe GitHub better for software projects or, or the same at least because like you see um, like Patreon is more like for people who provide something something tangible that you can share and software project is like especially open source it's just a software project what do you put on the Patreon page like backstage videos of of coding or what i don't know mm-hmm. so yeah. it's, it's just the code and the code is already on github you get the code yeah. right so if you could one for one replace your current software engineer salary like exact same salary but now you're full-time open source would you would you make that deal yeah absolutely and what do you think would what would material materially change about your life having switched over to full-time open source have you thought through that what do you mean materially? Uh, practically, like your day-to-day or your life. Like what would change about your life having the same income but having this different career? Mm-hmm. I think that I will just become more calm because like I would work on things that I think are important. Yeah. And so it, it gives like your bigger peace of mind let's say right when you work for employer you're doing somebody else's ideas and you have to also uh, yeah basically that, that and also i think i work better on things that i believe in like deeply believe in and i'm more invested and i work better mm-hmm. so yeah it's it, it just i guess it's the way i feel the i i, I work yeah that's it well, it's out there on GitHub. You can check it out. Fear of Code. Yep. It is amazing. Uh, I, I like it. I think it's got a great flair to it, especially if you really appreciate the ligatures. If you're someone who really wants that visual aspect to it, or if you're going to do a console UI or some of these unique ideas. Uh, Nikita is certainly dedicated towards it. He's mentioned he's super passionate about it. And if you want to support it, you can. So all the avenues are there. The, the, the links are in the show notes. So check that out. But uh, Nikita, thank you so much for your dedication to this interesting font for programmers to use and uh, for your commitment to open source. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We want to hear your thoughts on coding fonts in the episode's comments. Just pop open the show notes, click the Discuss on Changelog News link and let your voice be heard. Or point your favorite browser to changelog.com slash 401 and click the Discuss link there in the play bar. Thanks again to Tidelift for co-producing Maintainer Spotlight with us. A big shout out to our longtime partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode. To Breakmaster Cylinder for the awesome beats. And to you for listening, we appreciate your time and your attention. Is there an open source maintainer in your life who deserves some time in our spotlight? 
let us know on changelog.com slash request. We love making shows for y'all. That's all for now. We'll talk to you next time. the dynamite you are off the changelog hot seat i'm gonna leave these ligatures on for a few days i want to commit to a week of just leaving it as it is configured right now and then i'll send you guys a tweet or a text or whatever an email and i'll let you know what i think after a week because uh maybe i'll just turn out loving it and i'll become your next big uh advocate who knows or maybe i'll hate it and turn it off yeah. i don't know you certainly should give it a go and it's also another thing that i learned like experimenting with fonts is the first impression is usually wrong. Yeah. You have to give it like at least a week. Otherwise, you cannot judge your first impression. And it happened for me with a couple of fonts that I installed, look at them, and no, this is no, cannot possibly work. And then at some point, I just tried them for a week and I had completely different feeling. Like I, I could accept it. I just didn't understand it at the first glance. So yeah, certainly give it a go. I think that's probably true. I think most of the time I do the initial, the hot take and move on or move back. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy with Ubuntu Mono and I just go back right away without, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, you want to go live in this new place? It's like, well, if I stayed there for a week, I would have a much better idea versus just walking through it. So I'm going to let it stick. I think the ligatures is the biggest change. I mean, the fonts, there are differences, but they're mostly stylistic. The ligature is like a pretty... You know, like I was even typing like the pipe and the carrot and I delete the carrot and see what happens, you know, like the switch from a. Yeah. And so that's a different thing that I'm not used to, but I'm definitely going to let it live because maybe I'll end up being a lig ligature person after this. Who knows?